1: Tom Mullen Talks Freedom.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is Jason Rink. Jason is an award winning commercial film producer and director. He's helped generate over $500 million in online sales for his clients through the power of brand storytelling and the impact of direct response marketing. Jason is also a talented documentary filmmaker and an original Ron Paul revolutionary from back in the bad old days of 2007 and 2008. Today he joins me to talk about his latest documentary film, The Most Cancelled Man in America. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey Tom, it's so good to be back with you, man. I really appreciate the invite. Yeah, always good to talk to a fellow revolutionary from the bad old days of the Ron Paul movement. The last time you were on you were in some hot water because you had made a film called q sent me about jake and the the guy with the buffalo horns in the january 6 2021 capital riot for anyone who doesn't know who he is and just to catch people up that are new to the podcast might not be familiar with you this hurts your business outside of any political realm you are a filmmaker and you did marketing and filmmaking for Fortune 500 companies, what was the effect on your overall business from that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, because we were making a documentary on the Stop the Steal movement, basically. We just decided to follow it because it seemed like an interesting story. And that led us to the Capitol at Jan 6. We were filming there that day. And through a series of events, we managed to get the only interview with Jacob Chansley on January 7th before he basically got arrested. And he's been in prison since. And so when we got that interview, we recognized we might have something very special there. And so we started to go get additional interviews with his family and lawyer and all this. And we cobbled that together very quickly within a week into a trailer that we released on YouTube, Twitter and Facebook. And that trailer was really just about this guy who's very iconic of, of the day, right? I mean, and so it wasn't like Trump won. It wasn't like the election was stolen. It wasn't like the Capitol riots were totally peaceful. Like it was not anything like that. It was really just about this very interesting guy who we happen to have a lot of footage and content around. And that, that video quickly got up to like eight or 9,000 views on YouTube because it was just still in the conversation. But in, within 12 hours, I was permanently banned from Twitter and Facebook. And, and just context, by a permanent ban, you can still set up new accounts, but as soon as they discover you have, you will be banned for evading permanent suspension. Some people are like, you still have a Facebook account. It's like, yeah, right now. Twitter, I've been shut down five times. I can't run ads on Facebook because... You know, for whatever reason, I've my whole account has been my new account has not been totally canceled, but I have no access to running any ads or digital media. And so, when I lost my account, I I lost all of the pages and groups and everything that was attached to my account were were gone. And I also at that time had a client I was doing about seventy five hundred dollars a month in revenue with for digital ad spend and media. It was. It was it was ad spend and consulting and all of the stuff that goes into that it was about a hundred thousand dollars a year that i had to call him the next day and say yeah we can't do business with you anymore i have not been able to do any other digital media for anyone so that was a whole division of my business it didn't make up necessarily the biggest portion most of what we were doing was making commercial video production content for different clients doing, you know, ads, ads, storytelling content, whatever it is. We've worked with Aston Martin, Toyota, and then worked with a lot of other companies. And so it 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 did cut off an entire arena of potential revenue. And then I also ended up losing my Vimeo account, which many people aren't that familiar with Vimeo if they're not in production. But we use Vimeo because it's got an internal commenting and collaboration tool on it. So we share cuts with clients or internally to review, you know, make notes, make changes. So I had 4,100 videos on Vimeo and because I'd been with them over 10 years, I spent like $1,500, $2,000 a year with them, I think. And uh, we ended up posting a couple of videos that were really not even public. One of them was public. It had like 32 views. The other two were private, but they were all rough footage of Nick Fuentes, which is the guy we decided to make a film, short film called The Most Canceled Man in America about. And from what I can tell, I think it's because his name was in the title that we had. I think they had some sort of AI that caught his name, that his name's actually flagged, because we immediately got three strikes, boom, boom, boom. And then they said, hey, go find another platform. So I had a week to download five terabytes of videos for archive purposes because that was like an archival type thing for us. And, uh, you know, had to go out and find another video platform like that. So that's also had an impact on just how I can conduct my business. Fortunately for me, and I've talked about this a little bit, is that I haven't really lost... I haven't really lost any clients specifically in that nobody has come to us and said, well, we won't do business with you because you're doing this kind of work. But I haven't, I've stopped pursuing clients that we used to work with because we, you know, don't want to, I recognize that there is a, a world in which that is, that will be problematic, right? Given the HR departments, woke culture. And all of that, like my mere association with a certain political dimension of content shrinks the potential pool of clients. And I'm fortunate that a lot of the clients that I chose to work with prior and my team is all like minded around some of these issues so that many clients that I currently have and had even then are like, ask me questions. They're like, hey, when's the Q Shaman movie coming out, you know, and whatever. So there's been a freedom in that. And 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 so. That was in place before I started making the documentaries. And it's one of the reasons I did. I, I counted the cost and I was like, you know, this could be a problem if I'm public about this, what will it cost me? And I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure my clients are going to hang with me through this. So that created a freedom for me to do that. But it has had an impact in, the, in above six figures annually in the business that I was doing or could be doing. Well, I'm actually pleasantly surprised to hear you didn't lose clients. I would have thought that some of the
0: names that you mentioned would come and say oh we we're, we're not going to do this anymore but again I guess to a certain extent, you're behind the scenes. All people see is the Toyota commercial yeah, yeah and we haven't
1: know. been we haven't been doing as much of that we haven't hadn't really worked with them for a couple of years, and so you know the door's still open but but I also did some things to mitigate my name association with even a business I own 50% of. And it's fine. Like I'm still like kind of the main salesperson. People still come to me to work with us, but I am much more behind the scenes now in part because I want to pursue this ideas driven content. It's always what I've wanted to do, which was to make. You know, hard hitting documentary films, provocative content. You know, I, w- I grew up in I was born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s. I was a punk rock kid. So, you know, it's like you tell me I can't go somewhere. I'm going there. <laughs> you know, that's just how I'm wired, dude. Yeah, me too.
0: Actually, I back <laughs> during the Lincoln administration, I used to play with my band at the punk rock club in Buffalo called the Continental. Where, as we were playing, it was so loud that your feet were actually not on the stage. you, you were kind of vibrating around like one of those <laughs> yeah, guys yeah. on the old electric football games. Yeah. Anyway, so the most canceled man in America is about this guy Nick Fuentes, and I got to tell you. Until we hooked up and said, let's do this interview, I still didn't know what this guy believes or says. I'm so behind. I I still don't know what Milo Yiannopoulos says that's supposed to be so terrible. I have no idea. I mean, it could could be terrible. But so I went and read the Wikipedia page for Nick Fuentes. In other words, the hit piece. Right. (laughs) And even that starts out pretty bad. White supremacist, blah, blah, blah. And then as you keep reading, it starts to unwind. Well, he actually says he doesn't believe that. So. In a nutshell, what does this guy believe and what's your film about?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. And this is actually important in the controversy I've been in because the ensuing controversy around this film is that. I submitted this 21 minute documentary as a short film entry to the Anthem Film Festival at Freedom Fest, which is an event that I have participated in. I've been a judge of I've won awards in previously for my film nullification, the rightful remedy that I did 10 years ago. And so the film was accepted into the film festival. And you know, I was, you know, pleasantly surprised about that. and. You know, the the reason I think that they accepted the film is because what the film is about is Nick is a 23 year old like streamer. He runs a news program called America First. He's done it for, I don't know, for four years or so, you know, kind of started it during Trump's administration or excuse me in the. Yeah, 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 exactly. Trump's administration. And wait, wait, he's he's 23 and he's been doing this four years. Yeah. 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 He's a, v- so he's a kid. Yeah. He is. A, he's a young man, you know, and he he live streams for two hours a night for five nights a week. And he's done so he's over 2000 episodes or, or something like that. I mean, it's a thousand episodes. Excuse me. So he's he's over a thousand episodes in. And, you know, he's been doing this for a while and he attracts a very young zoomer meme lord gamer male audience generally. Okay. So, and I will give Nick the credit that it's a diverse male audience. You know, I know a lot of people would like to think it's just a bunch of white males and it's like, that's just not true. Okay. But, you know, and he has views that I would say, number one, he's not a libertarian, doesn't claim to be. Okay. Number two, he has views that would be outside of the mainstream, When it comes to a number of things, he calls himself a Christian nationalist, more specifically, you know, he's a strong Catholic. He's definitely anti-immigration. You know, he talks about like the white the white race from the standpoint of of talking about like feeling as though the white male is being marginalized in modern culture. You know, so he he's vocal about those types of things. And, you know, he at the same time, he's against supporting ukraine you know he's like he from a foreign policy standpoint he's actually he's actually pretty brilliant like he he knows a lot for his age he's very very smart he's very well read and he's an engaging an engaging speaker but and he's also funny like i mean in a very in politically incorrect way and in a way that will get him in a lot of trouble and so you know I'm we encountered Nick on the Stop the Steal documentary tour, right? Cuz he was involved in organizing rallies for that. And so that's where we kind of got wind of who he was and then after January 6th, you know, there was a massive move to deplatform and to arrest different people for their involvement. Nick went to the Trump rally. He was in DC on January 6th. He had previously been a partial organizer of some different Stop the Steal rallies, but he didn't enter the Capitol. He didn't do anything violent. He was never charged with a crime around Jan 6. However, the FBI opened an investigation on him. They put him on the Department of Homeland Security, put him on a no-fly list for over a year. And then he had about a half a million dollars frozen in his bank account by the Department of Justice. Never charged with a crime, caught up in you know Michael Sherwin who is is in the Department of Justice and was really heading up a lot of this stuff after Jan 6 said that they specifically went after the internet celebrities because they wanted to make sure people didn't come out to the inauguration they wanted to chill all activity he went on 60 minutes and talked about this and so you know yeah they they rounded up whoever they could but they specifically were targeting the most the biggest influencers possible so Our film is specifically about how the government has encroached on his due process and free speech rights by not charging with a crime, but severely impacting his life. But on the side, it's about how big tech has also deplatformed him. Like he's banned from Airbnb, Spotify, Amazon, AWS, like 40 plus digital stripe, PayPal. So, you know, he's not just kicked off of Twitter and Facebook, like his ability to collect payments and all of that. And, you know, there's a separate argument around that issue, like, oh, private companies, all of this. Totally appreciate that argument. I also think it's a bit flawed from the libertarian perspective for a couple of reasons I'm happy to share. But we specifically are like, when it comes to the government doing this, seizing money, putting people on no-fly lists, doing that without charging somebody with a crime, is absurd. It's a massive violation and from our perspective, it doesn't matter what your political beliefs are or what your political speech is that that shouldn't occur. It doesn't matter if I like you or think you're a good guy, it shouldn't occur. So, we wanted to tell that story because it felt a bit like a canary in a coal mine story. Like they did it to, you know, they did it to Nick Fuentes and nobody's saying anything and nobody really cares because he's Nick Fuentes. But That doesn't bode well for those of us who also have ideas that the regime would like to silence or are unpopular.
0: Let's take a short break for this important message. If you're enjoying the content here at Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, please check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. You can become a supporter of the show at any level you wish, starting at just $3 per month. All members get machine transcripts of all podcasts and access to my members-only MeWe group. If you're an all-access patron, you'll also get special member-only content, including exclusive blog posts and videos. And VIP patrons receive access to all my online courses and a free signed copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. So again, check it out at patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Become a supporter of the show today. And now let's get back to our episode. So just so nobody thinks that we're sloughing off what this guy believes and promotes. So here's the terms. Now, first, white supremacist. So that has a definition. A white supremacist would believe that there should be laws on the books that treat people who aren't white differently than people who are. And in South Africa, they had white supremacy. In the Jim Crow South, it's funny because officially they tried to claim they weren't white supremacists. That was the whole idea of separate but equal. Nobody believes that. But they even did not want to proclaim themselves as white supremacists. So is he a white supremacist? Does he promote the idea that there should be different rules on the books for people of different races?
1: Yeah, so, and I also want to make a distinction because there is a distinction between white supremacist and white nationalist. Right, that's where I want to go, exactly. Yeah, and people use that interchangeably, right? So, from what I have seen and what Nick claims, I think white supremacist is totally not accurate. Like, I I haven't seen, I've watched a bunch of his content because, and I've spent time with him and, you know, because we made this film, right? And so, he denies that he's a white supremacist. Some people are like, well, that's what a white supremacist would say. But it's like- (laughs) I haven't seen anything that would really support that taken in context or whatever. Like I've seen people try to take sound bites out and make something, but I haven't I haven't seen that. When you start getting into nationalism, I think that it's a little less clear because Nick is a nationalist. So and he's a and he's a at least partially white, you know, he's got some Fuentes, you know, he's got some Latino descent or whatever, but I'm, I'm uh, half Lebanese. I, I still haven't been able to get a straight answer, whether I'm completely white or not.
0: I even asked the Nazis and yeah, they had right. a big argument about it. And, you know, so,
1: yeah. And, and so like, I'll, I, Nick, Nick is a nationalist and people can disagree or agree with that position. And, you know, that, it and, and when it comes to immigration, I mean, he's, not libertarian. If the libertarian position is open borders, he's pretty much the opposite of that. Okay. So, and when you get into the issue of, of race and immigration, I think that's where you are going to get into some hot water when you, when you start talking about ideas that are outside the mainstream and, and listen, like that, So at the end of the day, that's, that's what's going on. And what I've been accused of is not sufficiently disparaging Nick's views in the documentary. That is what has been leveled at us. It's what ultimately came down to why according to you know the organizers at Freedom Fest, I got on a call with them. And let me let me back up real quick. Let me let me well let, you me, let me say
0: one thing here that needs to be said, I think, that okay, I'm sure you asked some challenging questions in the film, and I hope people will get to see it since you did all this work making it but a documentary filmmaker. Okay. So if you do a film shoot for Palmolive for a commercial, you're doing a film that says Palmolive is great. It's going to get your dishes cleaner, makes your hands soft. You're promoting the product. A documentary filmmaker is not promoting or disparaging. I mean, you're just trying to inform people about this interesting person
1: yeah and listen I reject the premise that there's a right way in order for me to introduce this topic right we had a lot of questions and challenges or things that we could have done and for me and and a lot of my criticism I think is proving my point a lot of people are are saying things and I'm like yeah you're actually proving my point because what we did was we didn't spend it's a 21 minute documentary. <laughs> the nature of the documentary is the government didn't actually do this to him because of his views that are, are called white nationalists or whatever. That's not why the government actually did what they did to him. That's likely why the big tech companies got rid of him because, you know, of that. But the government opened an investigation on him because he attended a constitutionally protected rally on January 6th, didn't go into the Capitol, didn't Commit any violence? Didn't call people to violence. He was there. I was there. Okay, and so, so a lot of people were there. Million people were there. And so, the the focus of the documentary is: Can the government or should the government be able to do this to individuals for the activity that he was engaged in? For me, the answer is no, and the libertarian answer is no. Okay, and what every but what everybody wants to do is they want us to take and move a spotlight over onto the the terrible things that Nick says or believes and make that a higher profile in the film when in fact it's not substantive to the real issue. We don't spend a lot of time focusing on the fact that he's been deplatformed from digital platforms. We, we make a, a, there's a small part of the film where he says, listen, I've gotten in trouble for my political views. You know, it didn't take long and they were taken out of context, yada, yada. And that, and that's really what he says. And to me, I think that's generally accurate. I mean, I think that Nick has been taken out of context a lot and I'm not saying there aren't things that he says, like there are things he says that are cringe. There are things that he says that I don't agree with. There are things that he says that I don't like or wouldn't say, but n- number one, I could say that about, so if I do a documentary on Ron Paul, do I need to commit a whole section to the Ron Paul letters? You know, if I interview anybody about anything, do I need to delineate views that they have and distance myself from them in any project I make? Is that the rules of engagement now? And what's gotten really interesting about this for me is nobody can, nobody's saying I can't make a documentary on Nick Fuentes, but... I can't make one the way I did. I have to make it. I have to give a certain amount of screen time to making sure everybody knows that he's a bad person with beliefs that are terrible. And I don't know what the percentage of screen time is. Is that 15 more seconds? Is it 10%? Is it five minutes? And what level of screen time will satisfy Freedom Fest and Anthem Film Festival? Will that satisfy Reason and National Review? What's the, what's the metric here? And so lost in all of this, I, this debate is to me, the, the, a lot of this is additional uh, unimportant context because at the end of the day, I'm like, what, what belief could he hold that would warrant the treatment? None. As far as I know, right. What speech would warrant the treatment? None. If no crime has been charged, right? Like Yeah, the main point is they seized a half a million dollars of his property
0: without due process of law. I don't think they're supposed to do that. I'm sure I've read somewhere that they're not allowed to do that. And I do remember when we were younger, I mean, I was a kid at the time and knew about it later. I think they made a movie about it where Nazis wanted to march in a heavily Jewish community called Skokie, Illinois. And I think the ACLU defended them. Yeah, Nazis, not yep. Christian nationalists, not. Well, he's kind of you know, I mean, these were people with the salute and the whole thing, the swastikas, and that was the principle. Is like, yeah, well, it's awful speech, but it's protected speech. Yeah, we we're way beyond that now. I mean, you now we can go after your livelihood. We can impoverish you. I think that does warrant a documentary film.
1: Yeah. And I want to go into another topic real quick that I think libertarians are very, very naive about, or they're just unaware of this. And part of the reason I'm aware of this stuff is because, look, I've come headfirst into big tech censorship. Okay. And so permanently banned from Twitter for posting a documentary trailer. Literally, that's it. I've lost YouTube accounts, lost Facebook, TikTok, Vimeo. Okay and that wasn't even a, really most of that wasn't about this doc it was about another one and it led me down in my experience around it was really interesting because when we published the video to youtube facebook and twitter within hours of each other independently removed the content okay so we're number one to assume that twitter and facebook aren't talking to each other about this okay that's they don't they claim that they're not having conversations between each company the other thing is that people want to say well they're private companies and it's not the government doing it well this is actually very ignorant of case law that has been decided for many years and glenn greenwald did a, a brilliant video on this months ago where the the courts have decided that it's just coercion Or anything that can be seen as coercion from the government to get those companies to act on their behalf threats to that they're that they may have repercussions that actually ends up falling into the category of violating the first amendment this has been decided a number of times and we have many many examples of Members of Congress who used their platforms to get Parler taken down—that's exactly what happened. And when—and then with the whole Joe Rogan Spotify thing, you know, Jen Psaki comes out and says, you know, hey, Spotify adding those little warnings—that's that's great, but we want them to do enough. And then when all of the big tech CEOs got called before Congress for the express purpose of trying to get them to censor more content they didn't like. All of those things, we don't even have to go further than that. And there's more, all of those things would actually qualify as coercion being used by the government to get those companies to act on their behalf. That would, would violate the first amendment, according to certain cases that have already been settled in history. I think one's called Norwood versus Harrison, if people want to check it out. And there there's been others, the NRA even had one in, in New York. And so this is a libertarians have. It, you know have not appreciated this dimension of how the government is violating the first amendment they're like hey unless they pass a law or they specifically articulate something no 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 they use soft power to do it and all of these companies know that they can be called before congress and that the democrat-led congress can curtail their ability to do business make revenue or can impact them in many, many ways. Like they have the power to do it. And so I think that that's really one of the bigger stories that has not been talked about. And there are some cases that I think some of the like Institute for justice type organizations are pursuing on this, that, that are going to speak to this. They just haven't worked their way through the court system yet. So I even reject the argument that the private companies, argument is actually what's happening here. We don't have the smoking gun that emails have been exchanged between government agents and the tech companies or phone calls. But I believe that's probably happened. I think in the wake of the Trump election and Jan 6, I think there were a lot of frenzied phone calls that occurred or a lot of emails that happened that we haven't seen. But we don't even have to prove that. We just have to prove that you can draw a straight line of AOC tweets this this happens. Jen Psaki says this, this happens. This congressman brings the CEOs before Congress, this happens. that That's really all we have to prove. We ha- fortunately have uh, Twitter feeds and YouTube videos to document all this. It's interesting because here's what I care about. In the libertarian movement, I'm
0: definitely in the Mises Institute camp, the Jason Rink camp, the Ron <laughs> Paul camp, the anarcho-capitalist camp. Okay. So when I see the beltway well, the market is spoken. Yeah, that's really dumb to me, okay, when somebody gets canceled. At the same time, there's a couple of things that have disturbed me, the argument you just made, which is, number one, I think that the people who really run the world think strategically. And if they get even us saying, well, they're not really private companies, well, forget making a property rights argument when it is valid later. You're already, you know what I mean? So I want to just throw some things to think about on this. I don't necessarily disagree with you. And whenever there's coercion, well, that's it. That's not even a debatable point. But the other thing I hear is, oh, Mussolini said that fascism is the merger of corporate and government powers. Now, Mussolini never said that.
1: That's not what he said fascism was. It's so weird that we we would have a quote from history that's misrepresented Right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, well, have I learned some other false things about history? Interesting. What did he say? What he did say is that rather
0: than this partnership, which I think is what we're seeing, that fascism was the government dominating the corporate sector. He said that we want to rule in the economic sector as much as in the political. So in other words, I'm going to take all of the sugar planters or the whole agricultural sector When he said the word corporation, he didn't mean a single company. He meant all the companies who do a certain thing, all of the sugar companies. And we're going to make them a cartel, and we're going to tell them what to do, and they're going to follow our orders. That's really fascism. So I think we've got kind of a funny situation here where... They don't need to coerce a lot of these corporations because they're woke as a joke all the way to the top. And they're just willing to do this. So it's an interesting question. What do you do about that? And my answer is leave Facebook, get 70 million people who voted for Trump to all leave on the same day. Right. (laughs) Right. You and I couldn't do that. But a guy like Steve Bannon or somebody who's got a big following and that would hurt them badly. Because I don't care how many billions of users they have, 70 million Americans are premium spending users. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get twenty percent off your first year by going to Freedom dot com slash Blinkist, spelled B L I N K I S T. That's Freedom dot com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get twenty percent off today. And now let's get back to the show each other when we don't mean to that's what we call the invisible hand something no politician understands. just leave it up to supply and demand and so what do you say to that kind
1: of argument against going all in on all they're not private companies yeah, well, well, a couple of things. Number one, I wouldn't have anybody here that, like what I think the solution is is that we need a law passed in Congress to overrule <laughs> section two third or whatever that you know, whatever the strategy is. okay? But it opens up an interesting question because, you know, people have criticized DeSantis for the law that he he had like a social media law. In fact, it's referenced in the documentary on Nick because the re, Nick found out he got put on a no-fly list when he went to go attend this big tech rally to to push DeSantis to have more teeth in his you know social media law and some people have criticized this being like Nick supports unconstitutional legislation against deplatforming you know he's not a libertarian i'm like yeah no he's not a libertarian number 1 but but at the same time we get in this weird situation where it's like if the federal government is explicitly and using soft power to coerce these companies to do their bidding on their behalf okay then what do you do? Like, it, is it un that I believe is totally unconstitutional. So is it unconstitutional for DeSantis, a governor of a state, to try to put up some sort of a, 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 a firewall against that? And I, I'm like, from a federalism, it, again, it's about your premises. So it's like is what they're doing unconstitutional at the federal level. Yeah, constitution doesn't matter to those people anyway. We already know that. But we can use it as a bludgeon to try to beat them back, right? And it's like, look, that is unconstitutional. It has not been declared so because the Supreme Court hasn't heard anything on this, but we can look and and see it's a, it's unconstitutional activity. So what do you what do you do as people to rise up against unconstitutional activity? I don't know what else you can do other than DeSantis to pass a law state level like that, that tries to do something about it. And I'm not saying that's the right solution. I'm just saying that's why we find ourselves in an interesting time because, and this is, I think, a lot about the division in libertarianism now where you've got people like Tho Bishop talking about what he thinks the right answers might be versus the anarcho-capitalists. And you know I could name other people, but we're really dealing with a question of like, Yeah, the libertarian philosophy is great, but when the rubber hits the road, how do we implement a greater amount of freedom for ourselves and others if we're not going to seize power in some capacity? And it's an uncomfortable conversation. It's one that I think needs to be really explored. And so what, what I would say is, is I agree with you to a certain degree that like, you know, I... I think there's a, an opportunity for the regime and the establishment to use this argument that they're not really private companies, you know, and be like, well, I might as well just make them a utility then, you know, <laughs> or whatever's going to happen. And it's like, no. And, and that's absolutely what'll happen. And there's a lot of people who are on the right who are useful idiots about this, or they're part of the, you know, strategy to make it happen. So you know, I don't know that we've got a solution ahead of us. I think we may be too far down the road and, you know, I don't trust, you know, establishment types for sure, or even well-meaning Trump mega anti-establishment Republicans to be able to see the nuance in this.
0: One more thing on that, because there was another place I wanted to go with the whole Fuentes thing. But number one, I think there is a little bit of a reaction happening as far as people you know, canceling their Netflix subscriptions. I think the market is starting to work against some of this. Is it pure libertarian gold that we want? No, but I mean, you never get perfection. Right. And there's a bit of a reaction happening, and I'm not sure it's not going to pick up speed. But the other thing I wanted to mention is as anybody who sees the video will see, my hair's not brown anymore. I distinctly remember Bill Clinton making the argument that they could heavily regulate corporations because. Basically, they're not really private once they're publicly traded, and they were originally only formed to be of public benefit, which is true back when a corporation was a monopoly, you know, 1755 or whatever. So that's what I hear when I hear these arguments is I'm like, wait a minute, now we're doing Bill Clinton talking points, you know, against private rights. So I'm not saying it's cut and dried like that. I'm just saying I'm uncomfortable And I remember myself, I mean, I wrote an article called Gut the Civil Rights Act saying we should get rid of titles two and seven of the 64 Civil Rights Act that prohibit private property owners from discriminating. Now, do I like them doing that? No, but that's how sacred I want private property to be. And even if you're acting on behalf of the government voluntarily, as much as I hate that, I want to find another way to combat that. But again, I know how
1: hard the deck is stacked against us. So it's. Yeah. And you can't even, you can barely even publicly articulate that and not get like canceled for that opinion of like wanting to alter the civil rights act. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, no, there's some things in there that kind of aren't that great. Right. And it's like, and so the other thing I want to mention is that we also are in a very, unique climate right now with the whole ESG environmental, social governance, investing model, which I don't want to get into and I'm not an expert of, but like when it comes to companies responding to market demand, a lot of people don't realize that there's another pool of capital that's enormous, placing a lot of pressure on companies to be woke essentially. You know, ESG is all about the sustainable impact of the company. So it has environmental dimensions. It's got woke social dimensions to it. You know, it has to do with how many of this kind of diverse person is on the boards and how, however this and whatever. And it's like, and there's like billions, if not trillions of dollars behind changing the makeup of companies to come in line with the ESG like goals, you know? And so I I do think that Netflix is like a stiff push away from bankruptcy if you could get enough people to just be like, yeah, I'm going to not pay them for a year. Like it's probably just in the millions of people to do that. And I also think that we don't want to overestimate the ability for markets to change company behavior because there's another factor at play that I think many of us don't appreciate which is driven by wall street hedge funds all sorts of other things and that's also seeped into the woke culture where you know the loud minority is able to you know beat them into submission and so and and you know that once you bend the knee to the woke mob like it never ends they they take their pound of flesh if you give them an inch so yeah i i, I think again even the, this conversation it's it's more complicated it's like it is it's it's it and i think it it, i think it it should force libertarians specifically but any free thinker to really appreciate the nuances and the different angles here and 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 ask ourselves do we have premises that we've believed or thought in the past that we need to update given the landscape not i'm not saying abandon our principles but i'm saying hey the real world might be operating differently than it did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And how entrenched are some of those processes now? And what is it going to take to unwind that? Yeah. I had Pete Canones on, so he's gone in a different direction.
0: Now he's a Ron Paul guy and everything. And I'm sure that he still doesn't, wouldn't support him if Ron were running for an office today, but he's, that's just what he's saying is like, look, I believe in all those principles, but nobody around me does. And while you're there being in your purity spiral, they're seizing power and you can talk all you want. We need to seize power and implement the values that he says that he espouses. And and I think he's a little more of a conservative guy, but I can't ignore that there's nothing to that.
1: Yeah. And I want to mention something. This is something that I think Pete turned me on to. It was an interview that he had, I forget with who, but- this idea that, that came up in that, and this is, I think, a flawed premise libertarians have operated under that I've begun to appreciate, and I think I began to appreciate this under COVID, is there's sort of an operating premise that if people just would learn enough or whatever, that right. they would decide to want liberty and less government. And I say, listen, you got to acknowledge that there is a market for government. There is a strong market for for the state, even, right? In in the population. And that it just like in a regular marketplace, people buy stuff that'll eventually kill them all the time. Okay. <laughs> like it's not a knowledge problem, right? The state will eventually kill you, but there's like some time preferences trade-offs people are making when they agree to want a strong, robust state. I mean, there's economic short-term payouts to that there's a being able to surrender responsibility for your own life in a way that in the short term can seem really freeing or can be really appealing and like we don't have the time to get into this but it's like i think we need to appreciate there's a, a market for a strong powerful state and that it's possible that that market is substantial And that they're not on our side just because they haven't heard the right arguments. Like that they're (laughs) actually using their intellect and their human being and the desires that they want to pursue in their world, which may be not very lofty goals that they have for themselves. But it's like, so I I just think we need to disabuse ourselves of this idea. Is that the right word? I, I think so. Like we need to get rid of the idea that. There's just a massive population of one third of Americans that are just waiting for the right film, podcast, (laughs) book or whatever to turn the lights on to them to freedom. And then the Libertarian Party can then now have one third of the Americans. It's like, no, 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 I, I don't see that happening. And if that's not going to happen, then we need to ask ourselves, how do we maintain our own freedom and freedom for ourselves and for our communities in a world of people in a in a marketplace that demands government and demands a strong government in a way that can have a severe impact on us
0: it's funny It's so funny because back in 2020 in a moment of extreme frustration with my fellow man i wrote this article called resisting the nitwit mob i believe it was something like that and yeah, it had lines in it like, no, they're not interested in that information you want to share and air quotes. You know what I mean? <laughs> they want they want to be in the stable and they want you to pay for this. I, I'll I'll post it on the show notes just because it's so funny how similar what you just said. And I go there all the time and then sometimes I'm more hopeful, but I think there's just a lot to that. And I don't want to keep you all day, but there's one other thing I wanted to say about the whole, and I want to find out how people can see your film if we're ever going to be able to see it. But there's another counterintuitive part about this cancellation. So. Merrick Garland and others, and maybe even Joe Biden have said that the greatest threat to America and our democracy, the entity that doesn't (laughs) exist, is white supremacy. And I live in Western New York. I lived in Florida for 10 years. So I've lived in one of the two places all my life. I've never met a white supremacist. I don't deny that they're out there. The guys with the tiki torches back in 2017 and all that but I've never met one. So my initial reaction is, well, I'm sure they're out there, but there's not very many of them. Okay. Well, you've got a guy that they claim is a white supremacist is whether he is or not, you make a documentary film that might inform me, well, this is the kind of guy you got to be worried about. And I'm not allowed to see it. So now I'm sitting out here saying, I still don't think these people exist, or there's not very many of them. And you would have provided some proof that maybe I need to be concerned about this. That just makes no sense, even from their standpoint.
1: Yeah. So I think that, okay, I think that white supremacists are, as if they exist, and I'm going to say if they exist, they exist, okay, are a minority and a very, very insignificant minority. And the truth of the matter is, is that we can't really point to anything significant, about like a significant crime or anything even the unite the right rally which nick attended by the way so nick was attended the unite the right rally the tiki torch rally that was like really early when he was just getting started and doing his show and so even that was a bit of a joke right like not a joke but like that that was like a bunch of frat boys with tiki torches not that big in numbers and now we've got this like patriot front group which by the way I never saw those guys ever during the Stop the steel rallies, Jan 6. They show up now out of nowhere and it looks like from central casting or whatever, you know, but it's like and even them, it's like, are are you really scared of those guys? Like, do these guys really look like they've got the ability to do anything significant that's like installing a Fourth Reich or whatever it is? It's like. No, absolutely not. It's totally absurd. D- do do white supremacists have reprehensible ideas that I think are terrible? Yeah. Do I think that it's way better to put them in a place of where uh, those ideas are talked about and people can see alternatives and even people who are a part of it? Like if Nick was a white supremacist, okay, number one, and then, and then I believe that the 100,000 people that follow him on Telegram, the... 20 plus thousand people that follow him on his sh- live streaming platform the thousands of people that showed up on a, at an event that he w- had in february if i believed all of those people were white supremacists what i would want to do is create opportunities where nick could be debated competent people on those ideas in a public forum that would allow the alternate viewpoint to be seen to have the opportunity for those people who are following him To change their mind what's interesting is that by canceling nick and by removing this film from freedom fest it's only made him stronger (laughs) it's only made it so that he could be like yep i tell you the regime doesn't want my message out there even this libertarian festival doesn't and all of that under 25 you know, tens of thousands of people who are very politically active, very politically loyal to Nick, they lose the opportunity to go into an event, go see the, go see the, go see the film in, in a libertarian organization environment that is surrounded, that is full of a lot of great people with a lot of great ideas. Instead, they've all been rejected. It's like, understand this. We're not interested in anybody in America first or any Nick Fuentes fans coming to Freedom Fest or the Anthem Film Festival, which would have happened. And now what's happened is Nick (laughs) has taken upon himself to rent out a theater in Vegas on July 14th at the same time that Freedom Fest is happening and holding a event that he's bringing a bunch of the Groypers, which are the people that that's what the name of the people are who follow him or it's what they're called. What does that stand for? I, I Listen, I don't even really know. I, I, it's, <laughs> I It's like, I think there's like a 4chan lore that sort of came up, but, but the fact is, is now there's actually a competing event that's not going to be as big as freedom. F- well, I don't know. I mean, Nick pulls hundreds and thousands of people, thousands of people to events. So we'll see, but there's actually now going to be a competitive event like, they all think that libertarians and freedom fest are totally fake. They don't care about Liberty. They just want to shut down Nick. They don't care that he's been mistreated by the government. And to me, it just closes a bunch of doors, you know, and the, that's the cost to me, the idea of, of platforming somebody, you know, Dave Smith came under fire, still comes under, under fire because he interviewed Nick once upon a time on a show, you know, and it's like, that whole thing of having to you know what one friend of mine said ritualistic throat clearing and disavowals you know it's like oh oh, of course i don't agree it's like (laughs) listen i'm like i present to you my life and my testimony of being around for decades at this point in, in the creating a lot of content you could review my former twitter account and facebook account which are shut down now and see that I've never endorsed any white nationalist, white supremacist or racist ideas in my entire life. But isn't that enough credit to give me as a filmmaker to explore what I think is an important question, topic and subject and then to present it on my own terms? And and my own terms was I was trying to create a situation and I made this film with a filmmaking partner who actually edited it, was really the director of the film. I greenlit it, funded it and i was involved with it so we, it's a real partnership but sometimes i say my film and it's like well it's our film but anyway we 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 recognize that as soon as you attach white supremacist label to somebody people are able to turn their brains off they're able to say i don't care what this guy has to say about anything or what what they do to him and we wanted to create a space where people could be open to what's happening to a real human being, an American citizen that you might not like or agree with, but if we allow this to happen and don't step to defend his constitutional rights in the middle of it, then I think that's a real problem. And I think we have no reason to then say, well, wait a minute, what? Oh, now they're going to be, they're going to persecute me because I believe this thing that is very reasonable and rational to me but it's like, no, listen, they hate your ideas too. Okay. It's not just, it's not just Nick's ideas they hate. They hate every anti regime, anti establishment, anti state idea you have. And they want to prevent you from being able to share it with as many, pe- as many people as possible. So that's what motivated it. I still think it's a very, very powerful film. There is going to be a screening in Vegas that you can only really find that if you do a little digging down the Nick Fuentes rabbit hole at this point, I am also going to be at freedom fest. I have a penthouse suite there that I'm probably going to host a few little private socials and might do some just screenings and discussions there as well. And I just encourage anybody who's going to be at freedom fest to come find me chat about this. I'm happy to talk about it. And, but I'm proud of the film. I think it's engaging. I've gotten plenty of people who've supported what we've done and how we've made it. And I think it's now, Now what's happening is I'm using it to expose what I think is a real problem in regime libertarianism and the gatekeepers that are trying to preserve some sort of purity within the libertarian space. And I'm just like, I think the problems we face as a society are too big for that and for the reasons and the catos of the world to be the adjudicators of what's permissible and what's not in polite society it's funny because Nick Sarwak, I saw a clip of him being interviewed, and he was actually
0: saying that there is a need, like in the 50s and 60s, I guess, that Bill Kristol kind of took it upon himself to purge the Birchers and any kind of unapproved conservatives out of the conservative movement, and that the libertarians have to do the same thing. This is when the whole Mises Caucus thing was not yet a settled issue. And that's just crazy to me. And now when you go and read the people who kicked out of conservatism, Paul Gottfried and people like that, I mean, you're certainly not reading, I don't agree with some of the stuff that he says, but it's certainly nothing that is going to be harmful to our democracy. And I guess the last point I'll make on that is another counterintuitive point that if you don't trust people to hear Nazis or white supremacists or whatever, and reject their ideas. Then why should they be in charge? Why do you believe in democracy if you don't <laughs> right, think that people, right. you know? I mean, the guys with the tiki's were like the. I said I, at the time I wrote they were like the guys in the Blues Brothers, right? Yeah, I mean, they're even yep. dressed like them. Yep. So you know, if you're if if you're afraid that people are going to be persuaded in mass numbers by that, then you're saying you don't believe in democracy. But anyway, none of it makes sense. But as far as the film goes, you're going to screen it in Vegas. Is there any opportunity for it to get out there and seen on a mass basis? And are you going to be able to generate any revenue off this thing?
1: Well, it wasn't really one of the projects we thought we were going to generate revenue off of. Frankly, we, it was sort of was a side project, a story we told. And, you know, it, you know, we were, we did want to, we did want to see what people thought and have people engage with the ideas on it. I mean, I wanted to show it in a film festival because that's where you can get audience response and like feedback and everything. And I don't have the opportunity to do that. You know, like I wanted, I, I I'm fine with people criticizing the film. I, I'd rather people have the opportunity to criticize it, but it's like we will end up releasing it online and probably in the not too distant future. We're just holding it back for the screening event if people want to sign up at my substack, it's cancelproof.substack.com. I've written two extensive articles about this whole experience, very documented. I think if people read it, they'll really get a sense as to what what's going on here. There's a trailer for the film in those substack articles as well that people can check out and then we'll be updating people through that Substack subscription on when the film is released, where it can be seen, all of that thing. We want to get it out there. And, you know, like I said, I'm, 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 I'm unapologetic about it. Like, I think that as a filmmaker, like I can, I can make a film on anybody. I want no matter who, who they are. And, and that's what I'm going to do. You know, people don't have to do that if they don't want to, it's fine. But I like to do provocative, interesting content. I think this qualifies as that. And so I hope people will will subscribe there and then they'll be updated on when they can check it out. All right, and if people want to get on your email list
0: just in case they can't find you otherwise, is the Substack the best or at
1: jasonrink.com? Or- Substack is the best. That is the that is where I've recently started to put our podcast episodes out, which we do sporadically. I've been writing there. I'm getting ready to release another article there. And so, yeah, Substack is like the tip of the spear. And then everything I put out kind of flows from there. So, yeah. Yep. Cancelproof.substack.com. We do have a Twitter account, CancelproofPod, which is for the podcast. And we do some engaging there. It hasn't been shut down yet. We'll see. So, yeah, man. All right. Well,
0: listen, I appreciate you staying here for the whole 30 minutes I told you. It's <laughs> yeah. uh, always great to talk to you, Jason. I hope you can stop back soon and we'll do our best here to direct some people toward your work. I appreciate it, Tom. Thanks. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. Don't forget that if you haven't already, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom there's all kinds of additional content there, including my online courses, the first of which has already been uploaded and a lot more to come. So that's patreon.com slash Freedom. Also, if you haven't downloaded a free copy of my ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, then just go to it's the stupid.com and download a free copy for yourself. It's also available in paperback at that link. And finally, if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at sings.com. Thanks for listening.
1: The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to Freedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.